Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 60, where we're talking with Ellis. Stay tuned as we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. Hello, Ellis. Uh, So who are you and how do you identify? Hi, um, my name is Ellis. I am a non-binary queer individual. Um, I'm 25 years old. I'm currently studying women's gender and sexuality studies at The Ohio State University. Very cool. So uh, what does polyamory mean to you? So polyamory to me is a practice of ethical non-monogamy where all partners involved are honest and communicative and consenting to being in a polyamorous relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I didn't understand or know of the term polyamory until much later in my open relationship journey. I just thought that I had, you know, commitment issues or just didn't really want I never really pictured myself in a monogamous relationship. Even when I was younger, I just never wanted to like be with just one person. And I thought that there was something wrong with me. I thought there was like a, you know, commitment issue or, you know, related to mental health, just like a flaw within myself. And then when I started, you know, internet searching and Uh, meeting fellow queer people, I was like, wow, there's actually like a community that you can find that people practice ethical non-monogamy and it's a safe and secure place to be and that's okay. So, yeah. Wow. So what drew you to polyamory? To be honest, like the, the relationship I'm in now is probably the first poly relationship that I'm in that I feel is like a healthy and communicative and honest ethical um, non-monogamous relationship. And I think it started when um, I met my partner that I'm dating now and um, he and I were dating monogamously long distance for a while. And um, when I moved across the country to be with him, I realized that I had left a, a whole part of my heart in Los Angeles where I'm from and that was a person that I was in love with as well and that um, I really didn't want to just be with him I really wanted to open up our relationship and like figure out a way to navigate loving two people and being okay with that and not having the guilt that comes with oh my god am I betraying my boyfriend for loving this person who's across the country and I, I didn't fully realize that I was in love with her until I actually like moved and I was like, wow, like I spent so much time with this person and I'm not with her. And I, and we were dating on and off for a long time. And like, when I met my boyfriend, we were just friends and platonic and we navigated that situation, which was really complicated. And then once um, I moved across the country, I was like, wow, okay. I really need to like sit down with my feelings and really analyze like, what does it mean to be poly and what does it mean to be open? Because I don't want to be a monogamous right now. And, and I think that that's like how it really got started was, okay, I love two people at the same time equally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, that definitely covers our next question. Well, maybe not. So is that when you first knew you were poly or, or when did you first know you were poly? I think 
that was when the, fir the first time I accepted I was poly because I had like little inklings um, along with like my la previous relationships that have been open that I was maybe poly, but I, again, like had a lot of guilt that came with it and was like maybe thinking that it was like a commitment thing or um, relating to like abandonment issues that I was just scared and I was afraid. So to really just accept that like being a poly person is okay without knowing a lot. I don't know that many poly people. So like just really doing a lot of research and reading and on poly relationships and like accepting that like, oh, wow, this is something that I am and like that is okay. I think it was around, you know, six, six to 10 months ago that I accepted it. But like, I have been open and poly my whole life. I think like since I started dating at the age of 17 um, and now I'm 25 and now I've like fully accepted that like, this is how my future will look and I need to like really read up on it and like, you know, branch out my relationships and my connections into other poly, like, you know, meeting other poly people so that I can um, really see how it looks for my future. Is there anything uh, you find particularly difficult about polyamory? Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting um, because I also have borderline personality disorder. And I think that um, when I got diagnosed with that, um, I think I was the age of 19 or 20. And a lot of the things that I was reading online about BPD was like abandonment issues or you know unstable relationships. And I think that that really put like a stigma in my head when I, you know, discovered that I was polyamorous and like really accepted that. I was like, wow, maybe it's just something that I was resistant to accepting that I was poly because I thought maybe this is just like a characterization of BPD, like I'm unstable and I can't commit. So it really, it really is like a, like a thin line between like being borderline and having unstable relationships, which is something that, you know, can happen if you don't work and work on your, your symptoms and your, um, your borderline tendencies. And also being poly and like being ethically non-monogamous and like creating, you know, open communication and honesty and like really um, like observing your emotions and describing them to your partner. So to answer your question, like, yes, there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes up when I talk about being poly because I am scared of judgment and I'm fear of rejection from family members and friends. But I think that um, it ties into having BPD and like have doing, have been doing the work in therapy of you know, how to combat those negative emotions when it comes to guilt and shame and fear and anger. So I think that I've been putting in a lot of work to work on my emotions. So when I think about the negative, you know, things that that come into my head when I think about being, being poly, I just do the skills that I have with my mm -hmm. mental health and I really work on that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when, uh, if ever, um, did you feel different from other people? I think I've always felt different from other people. That's a good question because I did grow up in a really religious Orthodox Hasidic community and um, just being born naturally as an artist and a creative person. And um, I've always been questioning things outside of the bubble that I grew up in. And I think that I've always felt different. I mean, even in high school, 
um, with dealing with my mental health in the Orthodox Jewish school system, there wasn't mental health, um, you know, uh, what's the word, like professionals coming in and talking to us about, you know, what it means to have depression, what it means to, you know, deal with someone who has depression. There was no there was no discussion around that. So I always felt different in regards to like being in a really repressed and like, I guess, closed community. Um, and then coming out of that and like turning 18, 19, graduating high school and becoming into my queer identity, that has also played into like how I felt different. I feel different from the people back in my community in Los Angeles. And I think that that's okay. And I've accepted that. And I've always enjoyed being different. I, I never looked at it as something that's bad. I always, I always enjoyed being a different person, you know, having tattoos, having blue hair, you know, um, I don't look like your typical Orthodox Jewish girl, quote unquote. Um, but I, but I like that. I, I like being different and I like being an artist and I like being creative and I like being queer and, you know, being, you know, myself, so. Mm -hmm. So where are you on your poly journey? It's interesting because I'm, I'm just learning more and more every single day about being poly. But at the same time, I know that this is where I'm supposed to be and this is where I want to be. And like, this is how I envision my future as well. So although I'm like still beginning my journey, I'm also like really excited about my future because I know that this is how I want it to play out. Like I have a vision, like I have, I have two partners, one is in Los Angeles and it's long distance. And then I have one partner that I live with in Columbus and I am so happy with where I'm at with both of them in my life and just us being, you know, together and them loving me and me being able to love both of them freely without judgment. Like, I think that I'm really happy with where I'm at and I am excited for my future. My partner back in Los Angeles is looking into potentially moving to Columbus so that we could be closer. And I think that, you know, my, my future looks really bright with having Georgie, my girlfriend in LA and having Thomas, my boyfriend in Columbus being in the same city and us being able to navigate, like having a family. And if when a marriage, if, you know, one of us were to do that, like, I just think that it's exciting. And, you know, every day, I'm learning like so many new things. So it's great. So do you have, where do you hope to go on your poly journey? Do you have poly goals? It, it sounds like you kind of do. Yeah. I mean, I really do hope to get married one day. Like I'm 25. I turned 25 yesterday, actually. So it's weird to say that I am now 25. And happy birthday. Thank happy you. birthday. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I mean, I want to get married one day. I know that it's like really I guess, weird to be polyamorous and then be living in the United States where being married to multiple people is probably not, I don't even know if that's legal in any state right now. But um, <laughs> I think that a goal of mine is to really just settle down uh, with one partner or both of my partners and see where that goes. And if um, marriage with one of them works out and then you know, the other partner is okay with that, that'll be great. I, I've i talked marriage with both of my partners. So I mean, I'm really just, I have a lot of discussions that need to be held uh, with Georgie and with Thomas, but I think that they're both like 
really comfortable with, you know, those discussions being held. And I think that that's important because I think that just being open and honest and like really just communicating your feelings on like, how, how do I want to, you know, how does Georgie want her future to look like? How does Thomas want his to look like? And what do I want for myself? Like we all have those discussions and we're continuously like, you know, evolving together. So, I mean, right now we'll see, but I think that it's definitely something that we discuss. So why do you think you are poly? That's such a good question. <laughs> um, why do I think I'm poly? I think, I think I just naturally have like a really big fucking heart. Like I love so many people and I'm a, a very social person and I'm a very genuinely like nice person. And I think that that's like a lot of good traits that like, those are my good traits. And I think that being poly is just natural for me. Like I think loving people freely and not having anything to hold back is something that I need in my life. I think that if someone were to come to me and be like, you need to be monogamous, like this is how you have to live your life. Like I'd be like, no fucking way. Like I, I don't think I could ever do that. I just think that I enjoy going on dates. I enjoy having dating apps. I enjoy flirting with people. And I think that just being able to do that without feeling any guilt, like I'm cheating on my partner or I'm, I'm doing something that I shouldn't do. Like just being able to freely love and freely, you know, compliment people without feeling the guilt of, am I, am I crossing a boundary that my partner would, you know, be upset about? Like just being able to, to be an independent person and also love people is just something that I enjoy and I really love. So why did you um, agree to be interviewed? I really, I've been listening to your guys' podcast for um, I think a few months now. My, my girlfriend actually showed it to me and she was like, hey, I found this really cool podcast called Polyamory Uncensored. Let's listen to it when you come to LA, like together we'll listen to a, an episode in the car. And we were listening to it and she turns to me and she's like, you know, you could easily be like on this podcast, like, like telling me that I should, <laughs> I should be, because I've always said like, I, I would love to talk about my life on a podcast and just, I have so many interesting things about, you know, growing up in an Orthodox Jewish community and becoming into my queer, you know, non-binary self and just being poly. And there's so many things that I could talk about. And I've always wanted to be on a podcast. And I think that like one day I was just listening to your podcast, like I was at work and um, it was like one of your episodes, I forget the name of the person being interviewed, but I was, I was listening to one of your episodes and I just pulled out my email and I just was like, I'm going to, I'm going to find their email and just send an email and just, if they don't respond, that's fine. But like, hopefully I'm putting myself out there. Like I'm opening up a door. So I emailed you guys and I just, I think that sharing my life about my, you know, my poly life is, is important for whoever's listening. Just, you know, hopefully a family member of mine or a friend of mine who is not super educated on what poly is um can listen and be like wow they sound really fucking happy with their life and like why don't I support them like why I maybe I should support them a little more maybe I should like learn more about other types of relationships you know so thank you for giving me this opportunity I think there's so much power in sharing our stories and really in trying to let people see the diversity of the ways that poly lives can work and how 
satisfying they are for people. Like, yes, there's sometimes fear about being out or there's, you know, different issues and challenges that people have, but being able to really just authentically share our stories, I think it makes a difference. A hundred percent. I, I feel empowered being able to talk about it and also, I'm learning a lot about myself, things that I don't even think about, but like just by speaking and like you guys asking me questions, I think I'm learning a lot too. So that's really cool. That's fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, we will take a quick break and then we'll come back to talk about our topic. Polyamory Uncensored is excited to announce a brand new product. We have designed a planner and journal specifically geared for polyamorous individuals. If you're a fan of the podcast, you know that I love recommending journaling to our guests and audience members. After about the 50th time or so I caught myself suggesting it, I thought to myself, there should be a journal specifically designed for us polyamorous folks. One that includes a planner, because of course we'd be planning, and one that prompts us to go deep into our poly lives. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the just plain complicated truths. <laughs> and I wanted to put together a space where you could go if you needed to vent out all of those really hard poly drama feelings. So I designed the Polyamory Uncensored Planner and Journal. This little book includes a full year planner for the year 2021, as well as self-discovery pages, guided journal with polyamory themed prompts and resource guide pages so that you can keep track of the books and podcasts and websites that you find helpful in your poly journey. Get yours today for yourself or the thoughtful polyamorist in your life at tinyurl.com slash poly 2021. That's tinyurl.com slash poly 2021. In doing so, you support me and this podcast. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye. And we are back uh, and we are speaking to Ellis today about growing up in a Orthodox Hasidic Jewish community and coming into who they are today. Uh, so just as a background for our uh, listeners who might not know, what does it look like? Or what did it for you look like growing up in an Orthodox community? So I actually had a really interesting um, upbringing in Hollywood inside an Orthodox Jewish community. So it's not the typical um, Hasidic community that you'd imagine that's like really secluded, um, either like in Israel or wherever, you know, you'd picture a Jewish community because I was literally born and raised on Sunset Boulevard um, within this community. So boys and girls are separate. It's very segregated. Um, there's a lot of restrictions on things that you can and can't eat, what you can and can't wear, who you can and can't marry or socialize with. So growing up, I was told a lot of things. There was a lot of rules. And, um, you know, from the second I was born, the traditions and the, the culture comes with, um, you know, what blessings to say on this and you know what blessing to say before you drink a cup of water what blessing to say before you wash your hands there's like you know god is constantly um intertwined with everything that you do orthodox jewish people believe is that i guess the commandments that are in the bible have to you know they they practice it as if um we're still living in biblical times. So, you know, on Saturdays, they don't drive, they don't use their cell phones, they don't use technology, they don't do anything that would potentially break the holy day of rest or the, 
the day of God's day of rest. So yeah, I grew up, I grew up like that until I was about 17 or 18 years old, where I went to an all girls school for preschool, elementary school, high school, middle school, all of that. So really segregated, um, never had any friends that were boys, didn't even know what a queer community was until I was about 20. So that's five years ago. Got it. Yeah. You know, I knew what gay was maybe when I was like 19 years old, 18 years old. Like I, I found out that there were people that, you know, were gay. I didn't know um, I obviously didn't know anybody that was gay. I didn't even know if that was allowed. I, well, I assumed it wasn't allowed in, in my community. You didn't, did you have much exposure to people outside of your community? No. Uh, my first real exposure to people outside of my community was when I was in, I think, 10th or 11th grade. Um, I had to attend this mandatory group therapy because I was having like severe mental health issues and they didn't really know how to deal with me inside my high school so they were like okay well you have to go to this group therapy and like the only group therapy that uh, was in Los Angeles was like you know in Beverly Hills that that they let me go to was like an all-girls group therapy but there they weren't all Jews so it was like you know a bunch of other types of people um, that was my first real exposure to like people not in my community, um, meeting other girls who had depression, which is like interesting because they were all so fucking cool and so fucking nice. And like you think about it, like I didn't even know like any real like people of color other than like, you know, maybe like a few other people that I that I had come across, but not in like my high school. Like we were all white Jews, like predominantly upper class, like um religious Jews so it was really it was really nice it was my favorite part of the week was going to group therapy and hang out with my <laughs> non-Jewish friends <laughs> did you not have a lot of exposure to like media movies tv no I really didn't like oh. even now like my my partner will, will say references of like uh, certain movies or music and I'm like oh, wait remind me like which artist like sometimes I like have I've done a lot of research like to be fair like I did listen to a lot of music without my my high school knowing and like I did go to movies because my parents allowed that but like I still like missed out on a lot of stuff in my childhood so I have done a lot of research and I and I'm now like very musical and like no you know classic references but but still I'll, I'll, I'll forget and I'll be like, oh, like you have to remind me like, you know, the last name of this Beatles or, you know, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I did miss out on a lot, but I think that compared to other people in the community, I did have more of a modern upbringing because my parents weren't as strict. Um, they did let me go to concerts in high school, which wasn't necessarily allowed. I was allowed to go to, you know, mixed um, events with boys and girls. Um, outside of high school my principal of my high school actually was like very very upset when she found out that my parents were letting me do this Um, I almost got suspended because I went to like a a retreat one weekend and there were boys and my my mom was okay with it but my principal like of my high school found out and she like was really upset and called like a meeting so yeah it it was it was um, very strict yeah wow does your family, are you out to your family either about being queer or about being poly? So I'm out to my 
I'm out to everybody in my life about being queer because I'm very open about it on my social media, like on my Instagram and Facebook. I've come out as pansexual. I've come out as non-binary and queer and trans and all of that. But being poly is something that I'm slowly coming out to my family still about. Like my mom knows um, and she's actually very supportive because she loves both of my partners like very much. So she's like been super supportive and I've had to teach her a lot about like what certain terms mean. Um, but to my dad and some of my siblings, I'm not super open about being poly. They're aware that I have these people in my life who I'm super close to and who I love, but I don't think they understand that like I'm dating both of them at the same time. Um, I think that this podcast, like sending them this podcast to listen to would be like a really cool way to come out to like certain people who I want to, to share this with, but they're not super aware of what, what it means. Mm -hmm. sure yeah actually when the way I came out to my mom was I I wrote and published an article in a college newspaper and I it was about being polyamorous and then I was like hey mom could you read this article I wrote it and she was like oh that's interesting her response though uh which I I, I repeat all the time because I love it so much she said oh your father and I were kind of uh doing that once upon a time but um but we were lying uh the whole time <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's the opposite, mom. That's cheating. Like, that's, that's just so like, the, funny. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely come out as like non binary to my dad, like through writing. I had to write an essay uh, for one of my gender studies class. And it was all about like my intersectional identity being Jewish and being trans, non binary. And I sent it to him and I was like, hey, like, if you ever want to read this, like, I wrote this for my class. I don't think he ever read it because I never got a response. So that was. Mm fortunate but I mean I'm out on my Instagram and my parents both follow me so it's like you know if they you know my mom su is supportive and respects my my pronouns and respects um my gender identity my dad on the other hand like isn't necessarily the most supportive um I don't think he will ever understand to be honest but to be fair like he did grow up in a very sheltered place and I don't think I think it's really hard for him to come around and that's you know something that I've had to accept. Sure I actually was wondering like um, you were saying that the community is very binary very hetero like how does a community like that even grasp the concept of non-binary or do they or do they, they not really acknowledge it? They oh, okay don't. they don't like um it's really like a joke, I think, to some people. Like, unfortunately, like a lot of people that I've come across that I've known for so long, like they, they really don't understand it. And they'll make jokes about like gender identities being like, you know, there's so many of them. Like, I don't understand. Like what, like I'll identify as a giraffe. Like, you know, like just mm -hmm. funny, like make a joke out of it. <sighs> and it's like, oh, that's not really funny. You know, like stop that. Um, but um, I think that there is hope because, you know, my mom grew up, you know, one of 11 uh, siblings and grew up Orthodox Jewish, um, raised us Orthodox Jewish, and she is the most supportive number one fan of mine right now. So it's like, you know, there's hope because if, if she can come around and if I can slowly educate her and like every time we talk on the phone she has another question like oh I met this trans individual like I'm, I'm curious about what it means to transition like can you explain hormones to me like all of the, like 
all of these things. And I'm just like, yes, mom, like you're coming to me with questions. I'm sending you podcasts to listen to. I recommend books to you and you do the work. Like there is hope because if she can do it, anybody can do it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's and awesome. She can really be a person inside that community who can serve as a resource for other people. If she's talking about what she's learning, you know, even if it's not clear and obvious and you don't see change in a short-term sense, like it's the ripple effect is still there. 100%. And I think it's so interesting because like if my little siblings see her referring to me as they, them, and as my name that I prefer, they're going to start doing it too. And, you know, they have been like my, my sisters who are 16 and or 17 and 21, they both have been, you know, changing the way that they refer to me because they see that like, this is what people in my life are doing. And this is how you validate me. And this is how I want, want to be respected. This is who I am. And I think that, you know, it is a ripple effect because they see my mom doing it. They see, you know, my partners doing it and my best friends doing it. And they're like, oh yeah, this isn't like a joke. This isn't just a phase. Like this is who they are. So that's so great. Yeah. And um, are your siblings following more traditional paths or are they doing their own thing too? I think they're they're both religious well the ones that I was talking about my two sisters who I'm closest to um they're both religious but they're more modern in a sense where um they're not they're not as um strict with their traditions as I was when I was their age they're definitely more open um but they do still practice Mm -hmm. yeah would you say that you're still religious I don't say I'm religious. I do say I'm very spiritual because I think that I have always had a sense of um, there is something greater than me in the world. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a God or if it's just a higher power. If it's something within me, I don't know. I'll never know because there's no way to find out. But I think that I am spiritual in a sense where I'm, I do a lot of mindfulness exercises and I do a lot of meditation. And I think that just like mantras and prayers are so important to me in like my growth um, with like, you know, trauma that I've been through and PTSD that I've endured, like just doing a lot of self-reflection has tied into my spirituality. And, you know, I will still do some traditions that are uh, like Jewish things that um, don't necessarily like, um, I don't necessarily do them because I feel like it's an obligation, but I do them because I want to and because it brings me closer to myself and it brings me closer to me and who I was as a child and my family. So I wouldn't say religious, but I'm definitely spiritual. Yeah, I can feel that. I mean, like, I don't identify as a Christian, though my family identified as Christian and Catholic, Uh, but I still celebrate Christmas. You know, like, (laughs) there are certain traditions that, like, I like the sentiment behind them and I can appreciate giving gifts because I love doing that, but it's not, uh, you know, the Christian ideas behind uh, Christmas aren't what I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating family and friends and loved ones, you know? (laughs) Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm on the same boat. Yeah. So was leaving the community challenging or was it mostly that you like left because you left the physical location or you know, like how, what did that look like it was challenging um i think that it was easier 
to leave the community when I actually moved physically. Um, but I also stayed for a long time. Like I was in LA where I grew up and where I was raised and not practicing and living under my dad's roof for, you know, maybe five to six years. So I definitely like had a lot of challenges um, just with being around my family and the community that is, you know, very, very religious and me, you know, doing these things that are just in line with who I am and who what I believe in. So yeah, it was it was extremely challenging. But I think that it really helped me to put things in perspective because it, in a way it made me feel like this is challenging, but I'm doing something that I really believe in. Like I didn't think about it twice. Like I never thought like, is this the right thing to do? I always just fucking did it. And you know, despite how annoying or hard it was, I was like, it doesn't really matter because like this is ultimately like who I want to be. And like, I'd never let anybody tell me, you know, who I could or couldn't be like, you know, after high school, I was like, this is it. Like I'm graduating. I remember the night of graduation, I dyed my hair pink because I was never allowed to do that. I like got home from my graduation, dyed my hair pink and, you know, decided to get a tattoo the next month. I was like, this is, this is my final form. <laughs> this is who I am. This is who I wanted to be. I just couldn't express that because I was like, you know, so repressed in high school. Well, and I imagine actually like being your true self would have gotten, gotten you suspended, right? Or kicked out of school. I couldn't even color my nails with nail polish that was not pink. Like I couldn't have black nail polish, like which I wanted to at that time so bad, like just like paint my nails black. Um, and you know, that it's just funny to look back cause it's like, like if only that was my struggle now. <laughs> I mean, they, I did get, um, I actually got suspended a couple times. Like the first time was because my principal of the school found out that I was dating a boy in the boys' school. And, you know, this was okay with my mom. This was okay with my dad. Like they knew about him. They actually let him come over. Um, but the, you know, the headmaster of the school found out that I was like having a relationship with the boy. And like rumor, rumors went around the school that I was having sex with him which is like so frowned upon, which like wasn't even true at the time. Cause like I was a virgin, like up until after high school. So it was like, these rumors were going around and I was like, what are you like, what is, what is so wrong about like holding hands or kissing my boyfriend? Like to me, that was so silly, but like at the time it was so, it was so huge. Like it was just like, so it was made so big in my head that like, this was so bad. Um, and I think that there's like a real issue in that community where it's like, um, you know, these normal natural things that that people and human as human beings like you, you want to do or you need to do and it's just like frowned upon because you're a religious Jew and um, I think that, you know, I'm studying gender studies right now and like what I aim to do is like eventually become an educator and like really just, um, you know, practice more self uh, sex education in the community and like um, to have more queer studies and be able to teach people in the community that there, there is more to just this binary hetero world. Um, you know, I'm sure there are so, I know so many people that are in the community that are either poly or queer, gay, trans that can't even express it and 
have come to me specifically, like I've gotten DMs from people in the community saying like, I really just need someone to talk to. Like I've seen your growth. Like how do I, how do I become what you're doing? And I'm like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like I want to be that, that motivational person. I want to be that, that educator. Like I, I, I really hope that one day we can change that. That's fantastic. <laughs> great vision. I think it's, it's really interesting the kind of like denial that can go on in small communities like that, where they think that like homosexuality doesn't exist, where it, it obviously does, but people are being repressed and they're totally like denying their true selves. I remember my, my father, who again is, is Catholic, he had um, hired uh, some of the, because he lives in a small town near an Amish community, and he had hired some of the Amish men from that community to help him um, roof houses. And he said, you know, there are no gay people in their community. There are no trans or non-binary people in their community. And I was like, dad, <laughs> yes, there absolutely are. They just can't talk about it or they have no like, concept of it. Yeah. Like, like me, like I had no idea that like these really intense, you know, feelings for my best friends were actually crushes on these girls. And I look back and I'm like, oh my God, if only I knew what a lesbian or gay person was like, like I would have been like, yeah, I'm fucking queer. And I know it. like, I didn't even have a label to put to my sexuality until I, you know, went on my first date with a girl and I was like 18 or 19 years old. And I was like, oh my God, I'm maybe bi like I don't even know what other word you know it was gay bi or lesbian I was like okay I'm bi but like you know looking back I'm like there were so many things that were like clues to to my sexuality that I had no idea at that time was like so fucking obvious I just didn't know I had no idea right right well and when you are living inside such a sort of narrow con very restricted frame of reference it's hard to figure out how to even think outside of the ways that you have been taught and yeah. some people manage but it's very difficult and a lot of people like you just until you hear the concept articulated it's just outside of your ability to imagine yeah i'm so thankful for the internet i'm so thankful <laughs> for google i'm so thankful for like you know books <laughs> like and you know obviously the queer community that i've that I've made, you know, and I've, I, and I've met people and I've come across people that are, you know, all, all of my friends are queer now, like every single one of my friends, they're like super queer. And it's just like, I'm so thankful for them. They teach me so much. And like, a lot of them don't even know that I come from an Orthodox Jewish background, because it's not something that I'm like, you know, going to talk about every single time I meet somebody. But, you know, I think that I just learned so much from, from, you know, the internet from people. And I think that that's, it's so beautiful because there's so many things that I'm still learning. And like, you know, who knows tomorrow, tonight, I could learn something new and I'll be like, that's fucking cool. You know? Yeah. How did you first connect with the queer community and, uh, and, or the trans and non-binary community? I mean, I think probably those things are somewhat interconnected. Um, I think I'm trying to think how, I think it was just like by meeting other queer people, like to be completely honest, when I was 18 years old, I downloaded Tinder, which is like a, a dating app. And I was like, I am gonna just swipe on like every gender. And like, you know, not even for dating purposes. I just wanted to meet other people like friends and go on dates and have a good time. And, 
Um, I met so many queer people through Tinder. And I think that that's really strange. Like I think, I think about, I'm like, okay, like I'm on a dating app. Like I was single. So like, I was okay. Like I was like, okay, maybe I'll hook up with this person. But like, also I've met so many great queer friends from Tinder and also Instagram. Like there's a great queer community on Instagram where I've, um, I've met so many cool queer people from around the world, just like um, that I've had conversations with through my like direct messages. And just like, um, I, I've i never really, like I've definitely like researched like um, the LGBT center near me, like when I was in LA, I've never been to it though. Like I, I wanted to, and I, and I had like the intention of going to like a group therapy or like a support group for non-binary people. I never like, ended up doing that but I think that just like putting myself out there and like um just by meeting people through the internet has it's really just that's how I've made my community is like through Facebook Instagram um and then also just like um now that I'm in Columbus I mean we're in a pandemic but like I've definitely um had like safe interactions with other individuals who are queer just through meeting people through friends and my roommates and uh, my partners as well you know, uh, so I'm I'm an old school internet person. And when I was first working on internet issues like a lifetime ago, that was really like how we talked about the potential of the internet, like connecting people in, you know, who wouldn't be able to connect with other people in their small towns or in their isolated communities or in different places. Like, how do you find the people that you have something in common with if they're not in your immediate physical proximity? And what an amazing, almost magical thing that is that the internet can make available to people. So it just makes me so happy to hear you say all of that. It's changed my life. I mean, my my one of my partners makes fun of me because she's like, like, every one of your friends will literally have a Tinder story with you because you probably match with all of them on Tinder. Like she made me this pin and it's like, I met Ellis on Tinder and she's like, you should sell these because like literally people would buy this. And I'm like, it's fucking true. Like there's no shame. Like I've literally met the coolest, absolute like queerest people on Tinder. And you know, some of us have had romantic things and some of us have had just like platonic great friendships and you know, it's really magical. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think before the reason I asked what your, um, your exposure to like media and movies was, was because in my small minded, small town, the only exposure I had to uh, queer lifestyles, alternative lifestyles, and pretty much any of that was through movies, TV shows, and sometimes books. But like, even that was pretty limited to what my library, my local library had. So like, I learned a lot from, and this was before Instagram, right? Like, so I didn't have that community yet, but I learned a lot from just TV shows and movies um, of what possible, what that there can be possibly that kind of thing. But I can imagine being sheltered from that, you know, you don't even get the, you know, the ability to see a gay couple on TV. No, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a polyamorous couple on TV or movies. Like, honestly, if you want to email me some, like, recommendations for after this podcast of what to watch, like, I would love that. Because I, I don't think I've ever seen poly relationships in the media. Like, I mean, I've read, like, books and stuff, but um, I've never seen any movies with poly relationships. 
there are a handful out there. Um, yeah, I, I think I have a list actually, and maybe okay, I'll, I'll compile that. <laughs> I'll write that down. List of poly themed movies. Actually, if you have Netflix, there's a couple poly themed shows on Netflix. Actually, above all of them, because some of them I was like, you know, it was okay. It was poly. It was, it was an okay show, but Sense8. Sense8, okay. Yeah, Sense8. I'm going to just, I'm going to leave this right in the episode because Sense8 is such a good show. It's a sci-fi show. It's it's made by the creators of The Matrix, but the creators of The Matrix are trans women, which is pretty awesome. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the thing about Sense8 is that the first episode is a little intense and difficult. And I actually had heard all these people going on about how great it was. And I turned on the first episode and it really freaked me out and I couldn't watch anymore. And then like two years later, one of my partners was like, no, seriously, you have to watch this. And if you can get to the other side of the first episode, it actually turns into this beautiful queer and trans affirming program. Okay, I'm but <laughs> the first yeah. episode is hard. Yeah, and deeper into the show, it gets into some more poly territory as well, which I, oh. I was so excited about because yes, it was very very queer right off the off the bat, but it wasn't very poly until the end of the series. But it does get pretty poly. Um, I I think and the first scary. episode, I also especially when beginning the show, I started with a kind of like hesitance of like, oh, is this just going to be another like sci-fi show, like whatever? And then there was like a lesbian sex scene, kind of towards the middle of the first episode and I was like oh, what is this I want to watch this oh my gosh what's happening okay so and then I was I was hooked from then on out so but yeah I that's probably my one of my top queer queer and somewhat poly shows that I recommend sense eight which is spelled s-e-n-s-e eight okay. <laughs> the number eight yeah <laughs> thank you yeah totally leave that in <laughs> yeah I'll leave that in as a recommendation because I, I want everyone to watch that it's so good <laughs> One thing I actually was kind of wondering, do you think the restrictions that you grew up with and the repression therein like exacerbated mental health issues? Oh, yes. Yes. Like you are on the dot with that one. Um, <laughs> I think that like a lot of the mental health issues that I deal with now and what I've dealt with like my whole life has to do with a lot of things that um, were community oriented and like um, the restrictions that were placed upon me and like forced down my throat in a way. Um, and also just like trauma that I've been through that has to do with, um, you know, being an Orthodox Jew, like I've been through a lot of sexual trauma. And I think that that has a lot to do with the lack of sexual education that I had. So like it all intertwines and it all connects because I feel like I deal with mental health issues. I deal with PTSD. I deal with BPD, like all of these these things that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis have to do with the traumas that I've been through. And the traumas I've been through have to do with my lack of um, awareness and education and, you know, you know, people in that community crossing boundaries and doing things that are, you know, not okay. And then, you know, me coming forward and being rejected about it and, um, you know, it being, you know, on the low and like hush-hush, you know, things mm -hmm. that like were really traumatic to me weren't taken seriously. And I think that that's a community thing. I think that that's an issue. Um, you know, sexual assault is, you know, something that is not talked about. Like in high school, I never had sexual education and I never was talked about consent or what consent is. So I think that that led me to have a lot of, you know, non-consensual sex 
um, without even knowing that I was being, you know, assaulted or, you know, unfortunately um, taken advantage of. And I think that that has, you know, it's all connected. Mm -hmm. And it's not just one community. How often do we hear about that in the Catholic church? Yeah. Yeah. It, everywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. And I think that, you know, that also drives me to pursue what I'm pursuing in school. Um, because, you know, if I can be a person who educates, you know, at least one person in this lifetime on, you know, consent and on sexual education and what it means to, you know, be in a healthy relationship, whether it's monogamous or not, like, I think that that is something that I really just, you know, hope to hope to do. Yeah, that's awesome. I agree. I'm, I'm also a sexual educator. And one of my main like sticking points that I will I will die by, you know, like, is I want to teach people a good consent, because I just don't think that even people who weren't growing up in super restrictive communities, even if they, like me, were growing up on TVs and movies, consent is not, is, is rarely good consent. It's maybe she did not say no, but yes. it's, it's almost never she said yes. Yes. Right. I mean, I'm learning about, I'm in a human sexuality class, like right now this semester, and our module this week, it's all online and this module is on consent. Like the whole week's uh, material is all on consent. We have articles and, you know, lectures we have to watch on consent. And it's like, consent has to be present and enthusiastic and not in a way where it's like enthusiastic where you think it's like, yes, I'm excited. It's like, no, like it has to be verbalized and it has to be, you know, and it can be revoked at any time. Like these are necessary things that every human being who is, you know, sexually active should be aware about. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and actually we're, uh, we actually have classes at my work that are starting kids learning good consent very young, you know, and toddlers, right? Like not yeah. sexual consent, but like consent and good consent for touching. And yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, if and you instill it young. Yeah. Well, and as a parent, that's something that's really interesting to navigate, like, you know, how teaching your children to set boundaries with their grandparents, for example, like if the kid does not want to give grandpa a kiss, the kid doesn't have to give grandpa a kiss. And like, that's a difficult conversation sometimes to have because it may be completely innocent intent, but it undermines that idea that you have bodily autonomy and you know if you can learn that and really own that as a child I think it really sets you up a lot better as an adult yeah and I didn't have that I didn't I was never taught I I don't remember being taught at least like about bodily autonomy having you know you know consent like at all. So I think that really set me up for disaster and, and a lot of, you know, unfortunate uh, situations and experiences where now I'm like, you know, just having to like uh, do a lot of therapy work and uh, exposure therapy and um, deal with PTSD. And I think that that has a lot to do with the community I was raised in. Well, and I think that just in general, all people socialized as female are, are, are led to believe that they shouldn't say no, that they're caregivers, that they are taking care of another person, even if that means sexually. And in, you know, and this is just 
culturally like widely accepted but in a super gendered society that's probably going to be amplified you know you're not allowed to say no even like or whatever you know for sure well it's your job to take care of their feelings and not hurt their Mm -hmm. feelings yeah i mean it has it it even goes back to like not even being able to say no to clear off the table after dinner like girls do that after you know friday night family dinner like we we are the ones to go into the kitchen and do the dishes like and that is what has to happen like you can't say no like what are you doing at the table like you're a quote-unquote girl like you should be doing that and it's like that was always that's how I was raised like we that's what we did and I think that 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 plays a lot into like you know having that feeling of like oh I need to take care of um these people whether it's sexually or not like you know with past boyfriends or sexual partners just like not having the um opportunity to be like no I actually don't want this or you know them also like I I would would have a lot of sexual partners in the orthodox community when I was younger because that those were the people that were around me and I think that there was no consent um being taught of like what that what consent is so it's like the the boys I was having sex with didn't even weren't aware that like if I was too drunk like that is that is great like I don't think they knew that that was a thing like right you know I'd be 18 19 going to parties and um a lot of stuff would happen that's you know things that I've either blocked out or like had to work on to like not repress and it's like we both weren't aware but like at the end of the day it harmed me because I was the one who was the victim you know Mm -hmm. so yeah mm. teaching that consent culture and to everybody you know across genders is mm-hmm. 100%. that's what it's going to take to make a difference H- has any family like disowned you or shunned you or anything have you had negative interactions because of coming out to your family definitely i mean i've been made fun of at the dinner table for my pronouns and like asserting my my name changed because I wasn't always called Ellis. And um, I think that um, it's, it's like kind of, it's kind of triggering to talk about because it's like these people are the people that are supposed to be the most supportive and loving and, you know, validating in my life. And I think that to get, you know, either made fun of or you just full out full-on disrespected, um, whether it's behind my back or to my face. Like, I think that that says a lot about those people and it hurts a lot. So, yeah, I mean, I've never been disowned or like shunned per se um, for being queer or being poly, um, but I've definitely been made fun of like with the partners that I've had or brought into the house um, when I was in a long distance relationship with Thomas, who's in Columbus, and when I was living in LA, and I would have Georgie over, like, you know, my family would, you know, question that and be like, like, why is she always around? Like, you know, stuff like that. And like, um, just not always being so welcoming to the partners that I have. Do you feel like you had to be put into kind of a, an ambassador role, like answering all their questions about queerness or poly or trans? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like we end up 
falling in there. It's so much pressure because it's like if I don't have the answer all the time, like then I feel like I need to have I need to have those answers. And like sometimes I don't. And so and that's okay. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll ask questions that are like so out of the realm of like things that I can like even comprehend, like um things that I wasn't even like aware of at the time or um questions that I'm that are too personal that it's like none of their fucking business it's like yeah well and sometimes you just don't fucking feel like being the ambassador I mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not my job like there's there's the internet and there's google and like right there are books like yeah yeah 100 percent yeah I feel like a lot of poly folks especially if they're the only person that their friend group or their family group or whatever work co-workers the only poly person they know, they end up being a poly ambassador and you end up having to give so much information and relay so much information that like, that shouldn't be our jobs. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, like that sometimes, I mean, and obviously it's it's all of our individual choices to be like, okay, I'm going to play this role and I'm going to answer all these questions because I want them to be educated or it's not my fucking job, please use Google, you know, <laughs> like, and, and yeah. both are fully valid. Yeah. And I think that like, sometimes I do enjoy being that ambassador to like certain people, like to my partners and to my mom, like when they ask me questions about certain things, I'm like, yeah, I really want to educate you on this topic. I enjoy talking about it. But then to like certain other people who I'm like, you know, I know that it's going to come with judgment or I know it's going to come with like rejection. It's like, I don't want to be that ambassador because you don't even want to hear it. So like, why are you asking this question? You know? Right. Yeah. yeah, it's a waste of energy on some people. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, so um, then I guess, um, do you have any advice for folks that are in similar situations as you? Yeah, I think it really starts with just accepting yourself for who you are and like not shaming or guilting yourself into feeling a certain, when you feel a certain way. I think that it's so important to like just not have those negative feelings when it comes to to you know your identity whether it's like your sexual identity or your sexual orientation or your gender identity like I think just really accepting who you are because like that's that's who you are and that's okay there's no need to feel you know a negative way towards yourself because I think that there's already so much hate outside of ourselves like in the world and I think that it just, we need to do a lot more self-love and self-care. And a part of that is self-acceptance. And I think like accepting yourself for who you are is, you know, just one of those things that you got to do when you're doing self-care. Cause you know, we are ultimately like stuck with ourselves for the rest of our lives. So it's like, you know, the things that we put in, that we say inside of our head, the thoughts that we say, um, the way that we talk to ourselves is really important. And I think like switching that narrative into a positive outlook and like a, a, a self-validating way, like whether it's like looking in the mirror every day and saying like, I am valid, like I am poly. And that is like, I don't know what kind of, you know, whatever you're dealing with, like, you know, look at, look at yourself in the mirror and just say something positive towards yourself. You know, I think that you might not believe it at first, but I promise you like, it will get to that point where you start believing yourself. And like, that's totally awesome. It's a great practice. Yeah. 
I do that all the freaking time. I have post-its around my room where it's just like, you know, statements about, you know, validating myself because I have such a negative narrative in my head sometimes. And it's like, you know, it really, really leads into my relationships too. Cause it's like, you know, if I'm always irritated and if I'm always on edge and I'm always saying negative things to myself in my head, it's like, it's not enjoyable to be around me when I'm like that. Like mm -hmm. it really isn't. So, you know, it's really important to just like, you know, validate yourself no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a, a good ending point because that's really important. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for reaching out. I think this is a really interesting episode. And, and I hope that, you know, as podcasts are becoming a little bit more popular, I hope this is a resource that's available to people in your situation or in similar situations that they can listen to and be like, oh, I'm not alone. You know, that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.